Hey, welcome to Believers Foundation. My name is Afolabiola Inkabelo, and I'll be speaking on the subject of stewardship, which is really a conversation regarding um, stewardship. Now that you're born again, or now that you belong to a local assembly, to a church that is. Glory to God. And um, I, I must start by telling you that there was a time when I also was a new believer in Christ, or when I was a new member in church. In fact, I was raised as a Muslim, glory to God. And one of the fundamental um, teachings of Islam, for example, is that we can not be sons. In fact, they often say that we are servants, we are slaves of God. And so um, it becomes an impossible idea to tell a Muslim that sonship is a possibility, glory to God. And so I, I must begin, therefore, to mention a few things to us because when when a new creation in Christ Jesus is being told about the concept of sonship, and it's not something that can be accepted, particularly for someone like me who was raised to believe that we were merely servants or merely slaves of God. And in fact, Muslims are not alone in that um, thought process, as it were, because in John chapter 5, for example, the Bible tells us that the Jews were going to stone Jesus because Jesus said, God was his father. And they said in verse 18 that that means that he made himself equal with God. So we will start today by reading Galatians chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 4 all the way to verse 8. Uh, we're breaking right into the middle of a sentence here, but it is, uh, it is going to be something that makes sense. The Bible says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And in verse 6 he says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Verse 7 is of uh, uh, importance because he says here, he says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. Thou art no more a servant, but a son. So it doesn't matter where you and I are coming from. One of the first and most important fundamental um, teachings and uh, um, things that we must understand is that we have been made to be sons. The Bible says, if ye therefore are sons, then are you an heir of God through Christ. So the first thing I want you to get today is that the fundamental premise of God's dealing with us in the New Testament is sonship. In fact, in um, Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 1 all the way to verse 3, the Bible says, God, who at different times and in various ways spoken to our fathers through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son or through his son. And this wasn't talking about a replacement of spokesperson. He, it wasn't saying that, okay, you know what, God was speaking to the people in the Old Testament through prophets, and now God is deciding to speak to us through Jesus. No, he was saying that Jesus wasn't just another person who comes to present an idea of God. Jesus was a representation of the entirety of God. And that's why he says he's the express image of God's person. So God's dealing with us right now is um, from a perspective of sonship. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, the Bible says, God dealeth with thee as with sons. Hallelujah. God dealeth with thee as with sons. You know, so the first thing we must therefore understand is 
who are sons, who are sons. So for you to understand who sons are, you must first understand that um, there was initially a son. John 3.16, you are quite familiar with that scripture. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we, therefore, as Christians, one of the first things we believe is that there was a son, right? And that son, according to uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says, unto us a child is given, uh, uh, unto us a, a child is born, pardon me, and unto us a son is given. Hebrews chapter 1, for example, the Bible says, for unto which of the angels has he ever said at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So the first thing we must understand is that, yes, uh, we are sons, but we are sons because there was first a son. Hallelujah. And that son is the one who made it possible for you and I to be sons. In Matthew chapter 16 from verse 13, you're, you're most likely familiar with this idea as well. Jesus turned to his disciples one day and said, look, what are the people saying about me? What's the general idea? What's, what's in town? What's reigning? And then they said to him, they said, you know what? Many people are saying different things. Some people say you are a prophet. Some people say you are uh, um, Elijah reincarnate. You are Isaiah. You are Jeremiah. Then Jesus said, okay, I've heard what the people are saying, but what are you saying? And Peter responded to him, I think somewhere around verse 16, Peter said, thou art Christ, the son of the living God. When Jesus was asking this question, Jesus said, who do people say that I, the son of man, is? And then the response was, thou art Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know what? This is something that takes a revelation of God to get. And as new believers, that's one of the fundamental revelations that Christ was the son of God. Being raised a Muslim, we were, we were taught again and again that, yes, Jesus was a, uh, an amazing prophet who lived on the earth. In fact, they believed that he was one of the greatest prophets. But just that idea of sonship is what eludes them. That's what is hard to accept. And that's really what gives us the gateway into what we now call Christianity, accepting that Jesus is the son of the living God, hallelujah. And also, that son who we have now all come to accept, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, he came to bring many sons unto glory. In fact, Jesus was speaking in John chapter 12, verse 24, and Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains as just one. It remains alone. He said, but when it dies, then it brings forth many like itself. So what is that saying to us? He's saying basically what Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 is saying, that Jesus, that one son, that first son, came to bring many sons unto glory, many sons unto glory. So we became sons by believing that Jesus is the son. How simple is that? Hallelujah. Uh, in John chapter 1 verse 12, the Bible says he came to his own talking about the Jews, but we, we don't have time to look into the depths of all of that. But he says, but it, and his own received him not. But as many as believed him, watch this, he says, to them gave he the power 
to become the sons of God. He gave them an authority to now be who he was. Hallelujah. Or you can say who he is. Hallelujah. So we became sons because we believe that Jesus is the son, the pattern son, the first son. The, the, in fact, the Bible calls him the firstborn from the dead. So accepting that Jesus is the son of God uh, is what makes you and I become sons just like him. Hallelujah. We live in a world today where we therefore must be able to um, explain certain things in as much detail as possible. For example, I keep using the word son, son, son. Uh, so I must therefore mention to you that son is not referring to gender. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 from verse 26 to verse 29. The Bible says that, we, uh, uh, that there, is, there is now no more difference between Jew and Greek, between the bond or the free, he said basically, and that there is no difference between male and female, that we are all adopted as sons. So when we use the word son in the context of our teaching today, we're not talking about a male child. It's the, it's the Greek word chios, which means the offspring of another. So when we say that we are sons, when we say that Jesus Christ is the son that came to make many other sons, we must make it clear that we're not talking about gender. So we have male sons and female sons. Hallelujah. The Bible says he made them male and female. Glory to God. So I just needed to point that out. So now that we have established that we are no longer servants, that we have now become sons, uh, according to Galatians chapter 4, maybe we, we, we can read that again just to put it in, in a bit more context. He says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them which were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. So you and I have been adopted as sons. And he says, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. But now, since we are talking about stewardship, I only took time to explain to us that we are first sons. We are first sons. We are not servants of God primarily. We are not servants of God fundamentally. We are sons of the living God. We have been adopted. The Bible says that we have been uh, uh, accepted in the beloved. Glory to God. So, however, I also must point out that adoption as sons is not an excuse from service. That Galatians chapter 4 that we read, this is how Paul uh, continued his statement. He said, Wherefore, verse 7, thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then you are an heir of God through Christ. How be it then, when ye knew not God, you did service. Hallelujah. He was telling them that where you guys are coming from, you did service. And now that I'm introducing you to sonship, it doesn't necessarily mean I am now excusing you from the con concept of service. It's just that we must first understand what the fundamentals are, and which is the fact that we are sons. Hallelujah. So wh wh why am I saying that? Because adoption as sons is not an excuse from service. In Acts chapter 27, verse 23, Paul made this statement when uh, there was about to be a shipwreck. He said, an angel of the Lord, whose I am and whom I serve. In that one statement, he showed us the two uh, um, concepts of what we are discussing, that I, I belong to him. I am a son, whose I am. And then secondly, he said, 
whom I serve. So the fact that I am his or I am a son does not excuse me from still serving in the vineyard of my father. In Hebrews chapter 9, the Bible says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, he said that eternal spirit will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He was writing to Christians who now believed in the Son, who were now sons. But he was now introducing them to a concept called serving the living God. The same thing in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. He said, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God. Again, he was speaking to Christians. Wherefore, we may serve God. Yes, you are sons, but it doesn't excuse us from the concept of service to God. Finally, just one more scripture to buttress that point. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in. In other words, how did we get into this grace wherein we stand? How did we become who we are? He said, what man of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. So again here he was alluding to the fact that these were sons, no doubt, but these were sons who served. These were sons who served. So, and so we become servants secondarily uh, um, because we are first sons, right? We become servants, but the service that we now render to God is born from a place of, um, how do I say this now? It's born from a place of ownership and responsibility. It, now, why, why do I say that? You know, now that we have become sons of God, we are no longer mandated. We are no longer forced. We are no longer under any, quote-unquote, obligation to serve, as it were, but we keep seeing again and again that the writers of scriptures were referring to themselves as servants. Servants. We, we, you're familiar with, you know, the, the joke that we often say about James Bond, the servant of God. This was James. Now, something is interesting about James. James is one of my best writers and probably one of the, the apostles I love the most. And it's simply because he was a brother of Jesus, a half-brother of Jesus. So it, it, it excites me to think that someone who once was just a brother, who knew when Jesus went to the toilet, who knew how dirty Jesus' boxers probably were, now came to a point of accepting that Jesus was his Lord. And James not only accepted that he was a son of God because of this son, who was a half-brother, by the way, but he also now called himself a servant of God, which is amazing. Paul keeps introducing himself, I, Paul, a servant of God. I, Paul, a bond servant of God. And that tells you, now, let's look at that word before I rush ahead of myself. Bond servant of God, for, for example. Paul referred to himself a lot as a bond servant of God. A bond servant is not just another servant. A bond servant is a servant who practically cannot be sold. Right? He cannot choose to go and serve another. And so when Paul used that word, he used it deliberately. That, look, I have been adopted as a son, yes, but I'm now giving myself willfully, willingly, back to the service of God in such a way that I cannot be recalled. Hallelujah. So this isn't a conscription. 
right? Conscription means a forceful enlistment or enlisting into the army. This isn't a conscription. Nobody's forcing me to be a servant of God. But I am now willingly making myself uh, um, available to serve the cause of God. Hallelujah. In Romans chapter 6 verse 16, the Bible says, Know ye not that you, whoever you have chosen to obey, that person's servant, you have decided to become. So, yes, you have become a son of God, but the moment you make that decision and say, you know what, I, I just won't be a, a, a um, what's the word now, I just won't be a son, I am now going to also be a servant. It, 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 it reminds me of how we often say, Jesus has become my Lord and Savior. The reality is that most of us have accepted him as Savior, Lord, uh, not so often. Why? Because the concept of Lordship has to be matched with the concept of servanthood. So when you say Jesus is your Lord, you are saying that you are his servant. When you say Jesus is your Savior, you are saying, oh yeah, I'm the redeemed of the Lord. But when you say he's your Lord, you are saying now, I am in the service of God. Now, the difference is that I'm in the service of God in this, in, in, in this time, in this dispensation, not because I was forced to be so, but because I have decided willingly to be that. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, you are probably familiar with that scripture. And we often use it to teach the idea of hearing from God. And it applies, but contextually, what Paul was saying is, as many as are driven by the Spirit of God, those who take orders from God, those who decide that, look, the, the, the Lord has become my Lord. He has become the one who gives me orders. He has, the one, he has become, rather, the one that I'm choosing to serve. He said, then are ye the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So he's saying the sons of God are people who are driven in service to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let me just, you know, I need to speed up here. Now, we are saying that becoming a servant is now a willful subjection of yourself, right? Now that you are born again, now that you belong to church, you are now voluntarily, that's why we often use the word volunteers, right? You are now voluntarily saying, I want to be in service of God. Why is that? Because true sons always love to serve. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. He said, I, the Son of Man, I didn't just come to be served, or like King James says, I didn't come to be ministered to, I came to minister. What is he saying? I didn't just come to be served, I came to serve. And, and you find this a lot when people join a church, when people get born again, they just want to come and sit down. I often say to people sometimes, you are not a project fame judge who will just sit down in church and be judging how well somebody is singing or how, they are, how well they are hitting the notes or how well somebody is doing their ushering job or how beautiful the decoration is. No, a true son doesn't just come to be served. A true son wants to serve as well. In fact, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 23, I'm just taking this out of context, but I just want you to see this. God said, I want you to let my son go that he may serve me. In other words, my son is not excused from serving me. And that's what I'm really trying to drive home to us. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, God boldly declared, he said, I will begin to differentiate between my son who serves and my son who does not serve. Both of them may be my son. Hallelujah. But the son who serves is definitely different from the son who does not serve. And we will look at some of all those things, but let me not jump ahead of myself. 
So we're not merely talking about a, a joining of a unit in church. I know when you joined church, we, we started encouraging you to join one unit or the other. And that's beautiful. But I don't want you to be boxed in your mind about the fact that this service to God, this stewardship in, in God's house or in God's kingdom is merely talking about belonging to a unit in church. In actual fact, in, uh, we, we may not be able to accommodate every single person in the different units that we have in church, but everyone must be enlisted in the service of God. And so how is that possible? You know, uh, um, it's possible because we are not just talking about whether you can join the ushering team or join the choir uh, and all of that stuff. We are talking about what role you now play as a part of the body of Christ or what role you now play as a member of a particular local church. You now have a part to play. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I, I may not have time to look into the details of this, from, but from verse 12 to verse 21, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 12 to verse 21, Paul explained in detail the concept of um, everyone having a unique role that they play in the body. He said, we are many, but we, we all belong to one body. Then he began to say, I think around verse 16, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Uh, or the, the eye cannot begin to say, I am not important because I'm not the hand. So that I am not a singer or that I'm not in the ushering department, I can't stand for long, for example, or I don't know anything about decoration or I don't know how to handle a camera, does not mean I cannot serve the cause of God. Because the cause of God is beyond just the running of a local assembly. The cause of God is the cause of God. The entire agenda of God. The entire kingdom agenda of God. And that's why, you know, it's important for me to note, uh, to point out, in John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus said, a servant does not know what his master is doing. A servant, that word servant, every time you hear me use that word, is the Greek word dolos. And while growing up, I used to, we used to use that word dolo, well, where I grew up. We used dolo to mean that somebody um, is, is being foolish or somebody is um, a stupid person. You know, you just allow people to toss you around. You allow people to boss you around. You do service to everybody. You're just always available for people to, to um, run you down, as it were. And, but that Greek word, really, is what is translated as servant. And it means someone who has given themselves over to be used in a certain way. You know, it's like saying, you know what, I'm available. Use me as you will. But Jesus now said in John 15, verse 15, he said, a servant does not know what his master is doing. So that's why we had to start from establishing that you are a son, right? So you are not just someone who is a servant, just serving in the house. You are not just somebody that is being asked to go and bring this tool and go and bring that ingredient and go and bring that thing and go and run this errand. You are now let into the entire agenda of God. You now know exactly what God is doing because a mere servant does not know what the master is doing. You are not, a, a mere servant is not privy to the uh, um, agenda, to the full concept of the agenda of God. He doesn't know what the ma master is doing. He's just bringing different things. They say, go and bring the spanner. He goes to bring it. Go and bring this one. He goes to bring it. Uh, and, but he doesn't know exactly what is being done. So they say, go and bring Corey. He goes to bring it. Nobody explained to him. You know, I grew up 
uh, with a fa with my, my dad was a mechanical engineering lecturer, so he was a do-it-yourself kind of person. So whenever my dad wanted us to do anything, I mean, we roofed certain things, but we, we sometimes built adjoining buildings around our house, and sometimes we, we roofed it ourselves. Sometimes my dad would fix his car by himself. Sometimes we weld by ourselves. He was that kind of practical lecturer, you know, but one thing my dad always did was that whenever he wanted us to do something, he will first explain to you what that thing will accomplish. Then he will now start telling you, bring the spanner, bring the screwdriver, bring this thing, bring that thing. That tells you that I wasn't just a servant who was being told to go and bring um, flour or go and bring yeast. You don't know what kind of cake we want to make. You don't know what it exactly we want to do. You're just being sent on errands. Jesus said a servant does not know what the master is doing. And, and, and this is why a lot of people, you know, may be doing different things, and I'm about to make a statement here, may be doing different things that serve the agenda of God, ultimately, but they are not sons. You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the Bible says that we are, uh, uh, that I've seen an evil on the earth. There are servants on horses. Servants are taking positions of usefulness. Servants are serving things. Servants are doing stuff to meet, uh, uh, to, to um, further the agenda of God, even though they may not be sons, even though they may not be eligible for eternal life, they may not be going into the kingdom of God, but they are useful to the cause that God wants to execute on the earth. How much more we sons, ladies and gentlemen, you and I who have now become sons must therefore decide to give ourselves willfully. And let me say this in, 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 as I round up. Jesus gave us a different concept of servanthood. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 44, he said, the one who will be greatest will be servant of, of all. So he's now changing that concept of servanthood that, look, the servant is not the low guy in the house. Anyone who chooses to serve the cause of God is setting himself up for promotion, setting himself up because Jesus' disciples were arguing who will take over, who will be number one, who will be number two, who will be number three when Jesus leaves. Jesus says, you know what, the one who serves all, the one who serves the most is the one who will be the master of all. Also, I must mention that a servant can only serve one master at a time. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus didn't say, I advise you not to serve two masters. Uh, well, I don't really think you can serve two masters. He said, you cannot serve two masters. In other words, you lack the ability to focus on the service of one master and yet do the same for another master. So, serving yourself serving uh, um, your country, all of those are beautiful things. In fact, serving in your church, in your local assembly, all of those things are beautiful things, but it must be at the, at the base of your mind that I am doing this in service of God. Colossians chapter 3, I think this must be around verse 22 or, or so, thereabout. The Bible says, whatever it is that you do, do it as unto the Lord. So, Many of us may not be able to join certain units because some things are more obvious in church. The choir is more obvious, the people who handle the camera, the people who do some of the more uh, um, uh, frontline things are more obvious in church. But it doesn't mean that you have now been excused from serving God. Because guess what? You may be able to serve God in things that may not be frontline. You may be able to serve God, for, for example, to bring your skill, the skill that you use in your workplace, to the there may not exactly be a unit, 
you know, that, that is cut out to, to address certain things in church. But you come from out there, you are now born again, you are now a member of this church, and then you find that you have this skill that you brought in that nobody else has been able to add to that church. So that's the role that you are to play. Uh, and that's the role that God has called you to play in that place, in that environment. And it must be important. Let me close reading Luke chapter 15. Uh, or no, let, let's not even read it. You know the idea of the two sons. We now refer to him as the prodigal son. But the Bible never referred to him as the prodigal son. But he showed us here that there were two sons. And Jesus deliberately told us this story. He said the first son knew what privileges he had as a son. We have told you that you are a son. You have privileges. Yes. You know, and then this guy said, you know what? I want all my privileges. I want to receive my healing. I want to receive the prosperity that God has promised me. I want to receive the peace of mind that God promised me. And this was what this guy did. He said, give me everything that is mine. And he took it. The Bible says he went on and spent it all. Then he came back. The first thing you must see about it is that before he came back, this guy served. He, he went to get a job. That is, that means that even though he was in the house of his father and he was carried away with the privileges of sonship, he had within himself what he took to serve. He just didn't serve. And in juxtaposition, the other son who was angry when his father celebrated uh, the younger son also had in him to enjoy the privileges of sonship. He just decided to be sold out only to servanthood. That's why his father said, all that I have is yours. You could have asked for anything. Glory to God. So we are not supposed to be either the first son or the second son. We are supposed to be a combination of both sons. The one who is conscious of the privileges of sonship, like the younger son, and the one who is also sold out to servanthood. So we don't just become like the second son, take privileges and leave responsibilities. Neither do we become like the second son, uh, or like the first son rather, who uh, um, takes on responsibility but does not enjoy the privileges of sonship. And that's because there is reward for every service that you and I render. In Romans chapter 4, the, Paul makes that very clear. He said there is reward. And here, you, may not, you, 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 you might not have seen this, but Paul makes it very clear in Romans chapter 4. He says reward is different from grace. You can attain to righteousness. You can get certain things freely. He said, but reward is only given to those who serve, those who do service. Yeah, you will receive certain things as privileges as a son, but the Bible says he that does not work should not eat. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. And that's why I want you, now that you are born again, now that you are a child of God, now that you belong to the household of God, to understand that you are a son, yes, but you are also a servant. Because Jesus said in Revelation chapter 22, I am coming and my reward is with me. And that reward will be given to those who choose to serve God with their gifts, their talents, and whatever it is that they have. I hope that you have been able to learn a thing or two about the idea of being a servant even though you are a son. God bless you. Enjoy your new life in Christ. Hallelujah.